Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Well, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lesson from Genesis teaches us that when you are 99 years old, you need to start a family, uproot your life, and become a wandering nomad in the way of the Lord. So for all of you who are happily retired in the room, buckle up. We had our church council retreat yesterday, and let me tell you, whoo, let me tell you, we came up with all sorts of plans for our members to carry out, starting with the oldest down to the youngest. Time to get cracking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, the pastor's actually coming up. No, I am just kidding. In fact, in fact, and thanks for, to Carl for pointing out sensitivities we should maybe bring to the text because it doesn't always give them back to us, right, about age. Uh, in fact, one of the things that makes the Abraham and Sarah's story so miraculous is that it was ridiculous even for ancient readers to comprehend God asking Abraham to embark on the momentous adventure that is parenthood at the age of 99. I can barely hang, and he would have been 61 years older than me. <laughs> it is precisely because the couple was so old that the task seemed so impossible. Nobody would have ever read this story and been like, it makes sense that God would ask a 99-year-old to have a baby. It was just as much of an over-the-top request for ancient readers and believers to comprehend as it is today. Nobody in Abraham's day would have assumed a 90-year-old mother and a 99-year-old father could have reasonably been expected to be first-time parents. They would have known that the one and only way for the promise to be fulfilled was for God to intervene and do their miraculous among them. However, we do not hear about the fulfillment of the covenant in Genesis 17 yet. But instead, we hear how Abraham and Sarah were changed by the promise itself. They were renamed from their given names, Abram and Sarai, to the names that they were given by the grace of God. Though they did not yet have, though he did not yet have an heir with her, Abram was renamed to Abraham, changing from a name that means something like exalted father to father of many or father of a multitude. Sarai is the first person feminine possessive form of the Hebrew word sar, which means ruler or prince. So Sarai means my princess. And her name changed to Sarah expands and elevates her identity from being my princess of my family to something more like noble queen and potentially noble queen of many. 
Both name changes imply that Abraham and Sarah were now to be identified by children that they did not yet have, by the grace and promise of a God who remained hidden from all but a few. Receiving a new name in the Bible means receiving a new identity. And they were now being identified by their child as yet unknown. A promise of parenthood that they had yet to experience. Which leads us to a perennial question when thinking about Abraham and Sarah. That is, what's in a name? What's in a name? What is in a name? Are we more than what others call us? Are we less? Do our names define us? Do they limit us? What does it mean for us to be called one thing and then to be called another? What's in a name? Most of us have carried different titles in our lives. Though we are often unaware when we are young, as children we are known as babies, and then infants, and then toddlers. When we embark on our schooling, we become students and continue to be students for years to come. Whether we be elementary, middle, high, college, or graduate students. When we take jobs, we become associated with the work that we do. We, we become teachers, nurses, mechanics, farmers, business owners, ranchers, or the various other forms of work that are out there. Even the truly odd ducks among us become pastors. <laughs> Sometimes there are difficult transitions in our identities that can mark us in ways that are difficult to accept. Things like diagnoses, divorce, or death can mark us in ways that we would likely not choose for ourselves. Other times, though, our identities can be bolstered in ways that we celebrate. Births and birthdays, marriages, baptisms, promotions, and all sorts of other events that can inspire, inspire elation and change our identity and identities in ways that are easy to embrace and over which we rejoice. I think that many of us struggle in our own lives to do the work of Abram and Sarah, becoming Abraham and Sarah, though, because they were being changed to be known by a promise of things yet to be, a future as yet unknown. They were not renamed after Isaac was born, but before. And as such, they were re-identified with the promise of a child, and not with the child itself. Most, most if not all of us, have no problem re-identifying a parent as a father or a mother when their children are born or adopted. The presence of the child in your arms or in your family remakes you and re-identifies you as the parent of that child. However, we rarely, if ever, re-identify people as parents on the basis that they may one day possibly have a child. 
If somebody came to me saying something like, I need you to call me Mother Extraordinaire, because I just feel like one day I will be an amazing parent. And yet that person didn't have a child, (laughs) was not a mother. I'm not sure how seriously I would take that request. Furthermore, if that person were 90 or 99, I might start discussing memory care options with them. (laughs) The reality of how this would have played out in Abraham and Sarah's life is kind of crazy to think about. Yet, Yet there is power in contemplating the idea that the couple was changed by the promise of what God would do instead of by something that had already happened in their lives. To stake our lives, well-being, and even our very identity on the promises of God is to place trust in the future that only God can provide. To say something like, I am a Montanan because I live in Montana is an identifier that can easily be verified in a phone book. To say, I am a child of God is a question of identity that can only be discerned by trusting in the promises revealed to us from the realms of the otherworldly. Similarly, taking on the names that God gave them, Abraham and Sarah, before these names were merited through the birth of the child that was yet to be born or even conceived, was an act of profound faith and trust in the promises of God. These identities were not yet complete as the promises of God had not yet been fulfilled for them, but their trust in the promise Their trust was sufficient to be known by it. There is something powerful and profound in trusting God for what God will do, not just for what God has done. Of course, we do this work every time we celebrate the faithful departed. Nobody listening to this has experienced literal death and resurrection up to this point. Yet when we trust that our neighbors will not only endure the certainty of death, but also the hope of the resurrection, we are trusting what God will do. Like the covenantal promise of a child born to a centenarian and his wife who is nearly as old, So our trust in the resurrection of those who will die one day is to trust in the work that God promises to do. Like future parents being renamed for a child that was yet to be conceived and born to them. So as Christians, we are known for hope and new life, a new life that we have yet to live. Yet, Just as Abraham and Sarah were blessed for the trust that they placed in the promise, so are we blessed for the trust that we place in the life that can only be shared by the miraculous work of God in our futures. To answer my own question, 
There is a lot in a name. In the case of Abraham and Sarah, the future of God's promised people resided in this simple name change. No longer were they leaders of a few. They would be leaders of many. In their own lifetime, they would only know one of these descendants. In just a few generations, their descendants would be so numerous that they would threaten the power of an empire. In our case, we are renamed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through our baptisms for the new life that we will one day live. This life will be abundant, steadfast, and worthy of any name that we give it. May you be blessed by the promises of the new life that God gives. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.